In early December 1974, a young couple and their roommate were found dead in their home in Sioux City. The background of the three makes it appear likely that their death was a direct result of their lifestyle, and some feel their list of potential enemies was so long that it would be impossible to narrow down and find the person or people responsible. After 47 years without a single arrest, it seems likely that that could be the case. These are the murders of Jesse Haney, Billy Isom, and Frida Bostick. of Tuesday, December 3rd, 1974, Harriet Isom got a call from her husband, Ernest, that their son, Ernest Isom Jr., who went by Billy, and Billy's roommate, Jesse Haney, had not shown up for work. Billy and Jesse had just recently settled in Sioux City and started work at the Port Neal plant as Boilermakers, where Billy's dad was their supervisor. They had not shown up for their scheduled shift at all on Monday and didn't report to work for the start of their shift on Tuesday morning and neither of them had called in. So Harriet became concerned enough after speaking with her husband that she went to her next-door neighbor, Dorothy Stewart, explained what was going on, and had asked Dorothy to go with her to check on her son. So the two of them made their way across town to 1117 Morningside Avenue, the home Billy, Jesse, and Billy's girlfriend, Frida, had been renting. When Harriet arrived at the house, she noticed Jesse's blue 68 Chevy pickup still parked in the driveway, and it had looked like it had not moved recently. Snow blanketed the ground, but there were no footprints coming or going. As Harriet entered the house, it was unusually quiet. Making her way through the house, she went through a hall and into the dining room, and that is where she found her son's pregnant girlfriend, 24-year-old Frida Bostick. Frida was lying face down on the floor between the dining room and living room, which was separated by a swinging door. The position of her body left the swinging door in an open position, and her arms were tucked underneath her body. She and Billy were expecting a child in a few short months. Frida was barefoot and wearing only a flower-patterned robe. After Harriet found Frida's lifeless body, she looked through the doorway leading into the living room, and there she found 26-year-old Jesse Haney. Jesse was fully clothed and still wearing his winter coat. He had been propped up in a doorway near the front door of the house. As Harriet continued to search the house, she then found her son, 27-year-old Billy, who was naked and face down. His legs were laying across a mattress that he and Frida had been using as a bed. It was obvious all three had been shot, and after Harriet found them, she immediately fled the house and ran across the street to call 911. When the call came in to Sioux City Police, the officer closest to the scene was off-duty officer Norman Kronick. Officer Kronick arrived and secured the scene and waited for an on-duty officer to respond. It was reported that there had been a substantial amount of blood in the house, but the house did not appear to have been ransacked. Investigators searching the home found a .357 caliber handgun and a lunchbox inside Jesse's truck and the evidence of a recent party was definitely observed throughout the home. 
there were no signs of forced entry and police found marijuana as well as harder drugs at the scene. Late that same evening, autopsy reports had been released by Dr. Thomas L. Corridan, who was the Woodbury County Medical Examiner that had completed the autopsies on Billy, Jesse, and Frida. According to Dr. Corridan, all three were killed sometime on Monday and were all shot at close range. Jesse had one bullet wound to the chest and one in the head behind his left ear. Billy received five gunshot wounds to the chest, neck, and head and Frida had been shot once through her chest and her lung. Dr. Corridan also concluded that Frida was approximately four months pregnant, and her unborn child, a baby girl, died shortly after she did. The autopsy also revealed that none of them had drugs in their system, but apparently at that time drugs were harder to test for. Police had canvassed the neighborhood talking to neighbors, but everyone they talked to said they didn't see anything suspicious and no one heard any gunshots. The bullets recovered were all from the victims, meaning there were no stray bullets in the house, and all were from a 380 caliber semi-automatic. Investigators believed they knew what type of gun was used, but didn't want to disclose that information to the public to avoid the person responsible from getting rid of it. A timeline of events from friends and family takes us back about 10 days before their bodies were found to Saturday, November 23rd. Jesse Haney had made a road trip from Sioux City to Red Lodge, Montana, which is a little over a 12-hour drive. There he met up with his dad and his brother, who were working when Jesse had shown up. According to Jesse's brother Ray, when he arrived, he looked very tired and nervous and had expressed concern that someone was after him, which his brother believed was a drug dealer he had crossed in some sort of deal. Sadly, Jesse didn't give his family enough information and they didn't ask any questions. It is never specified if he had stayed with his family in Montana for any length of time or if he had immediately driven back to Iowa following this unusual encounter. But we do know that he was back in Sioux City by Thursday, November 28th, Thanksgiving Day. Billy, Frida, Jesse, and Jesse's girlfriend at the time, Susan, had been invited to Billy's parents' house for Thanksgiving dinner. Billy's mom, Harriet, had to go out of town to California to see her brother who was sick so Billy's father hosted the holiday dinner. By all accounts, they had a great visit. Jesse made homemade gravy for their meal, and Billy and Frida discussed the arrival of their baby, which apparently was coming soon, as it was reported they were counting the days until their baby arrived. The following day, Jesse's girlfriend Susan had to leave and go back to Colorado. She told the group she had to wrap up some personal business, and she would come back to Sioux City once that was done. Then the next day on Saturday, November 30th, in the evening, some friends of Billy, Jesse, and Frida that they had recently met at a downtown club at the time called the Jets had gone to their home and claimed to have partied with them pretty hard that evening, which left the house an absolute mess. The condition of the home was according to police, and since there are no reports of police being called to the home prior to December 3rd, it seems most likely that the aftermath of the party was still evident when the bodies were found. The next day after this supposedly wild party, a friend of the group had dropped by the house around early evening, but when she knocked, she didn't get an answer, so she left. Also that same day, Billy and Frida had planned to go to Billy's parents' home for dinner, but according to Billy's dad, the couple had not shown up. This takes us to Monday, December 2nd, the day before the bodies were found. 
The home the group was living in had been recently rented out to them at the beginning of November by Kent Hansen, who owned the home. Kent lived in Bronson and had found it odd that he had not yet received his rent check. So he decided to head to Sioux City and stop by the house to see what was going on. When Kent arrived at the home, he noticed Jesse's truck in the driveway and noticed no impressions in the snow by the truck and no footprints in snow around the home. He came to his own conclusion that they were out of town and he left. To add a side note, we will come back to later on Jesse's new girlfriend, Susan. She had put up the deposit for the home for them to rent, which several people believed to be odd. The day after the bodies were discovered, Sioux City Police Department held a news conference referencing a possible lead in which a man and woman who were co-workers and friends of the victims abruptly quit their jobs on Monday, December 2nd and took off in the middle of the night, apparently around 1.30 a.m., and went to Carlsbad, New Mexico, where Eddie County Sheriff Tom Granger said they were taken into custody at 7.25 a.m. on December 4th at a cafe in Carlsbad, and they were taken into custody without an issue. The pair were identified as 25-year-old Van Chadwick and 18-year-old Diana Lindley. According to police in New Mexico, they had received a pickup and hold order from Sioux City authorities. It is never revealed as to how New Mexico police received the order from Sioux City police so quickly. Keep in mind, we are talking about the 1970s, and communication between different law enforcement agencies was challenging, especially when dealing with another state hundreds of miles away. So it seems if authorities knew that's where they were headed, the pair told someone and didn't keep it a secret. Sioux City investigators really believed that they were onto a very strong lead in the case, so the two lead investigators, Detective White and Detective Frisbee, drove to Carlsbad and questioned the two, but said they didn't receive any useful information from them and didn't suspect that they had anything to do with the murders. Investigators had reported that they had followed another lead into Texas and another one in Waterloo, Iowa, but no new information came out. Investigators said it took a lot of time to track down all the leads because leads literally took them all over the country. The victims were known to be very well traveled and never stayed in one place for too long before moving on. Jesse was originally from Montana, Frida was from North Carolina, and Billy was from Arkansas. According to family, prior to them showing up in Sioux City, they had been in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, but then left there and were basically MIA for about six weeks. The three victims didn't really have squeaky clean backgrounds either. Jesse had one arrest in Montana for shoplifting, and Billy and Frida had gotten into some trouble the year prior for marijuana possession. It was also reported that Frida was involved with credit card scams, which involved using phony cards and buying and selling them. There were quite a few theories that were presented during the investigation, which we are going to go into in further detail. Police believed without any doubt the victims knew the perpetrator or perpetrators and the way in which they were killed made it appear to be a hit. One of the theories early on was that Billy and Jesse had partaken in some anti-union activities at the Port Neal plant which got some of the co-workers pretty upset and wondered if the killer was a disgruntled co-worker. But other than the pair of co-workers up and leaving town unexpectedly, there really wasn't a lot of evidence to suggest this scenario was likely. 
The next is the theory that the night of their party on November 30th, that whoever Jesse had brought home from the bar had killed them. Shortly after the bodies were found, an unnamed person came forward and claimed to have stolen some pot from one of the victims the night of the party. And apparently the group had been known to be partying with some well-known narcotic traffickers from the area. But it isn't known if this individual who came forward was well known by Sioux City Police to be a drug trafficker or not. Marijuana and traces of harder drugs had been found in the home. Unless this person could have taken it without the victim's knowledge, it definitely would have ended up in an altercation if Jesse and Billy knew their drugs were missing. Another theory that came into investigators' attention was a tip that had come in stating Jesse Haney had testified against a drug kingpin in Colorado the same year of his murder. Now, as far as the research I did, I couldn't find any information relating to a criminal case where Jesse Haney had testified in Colorado. However, what I did find was a news article in the Billings Gazette in Billings, Montana, regarding the trial of Gary Lee Quigg. Quigg was facing charges of first-degree murder for killing a man named Lee Robbins. Lee was killed on April 8, 1968, and after one trial of a deadlock jury, the case was retried on March 31, 1969. And on April 8 and April 9, Jesse Haney was called in to testify. The newspaper reported that Jesse was 19 at the time, which Jesse would have been 19 when Lee was killed and would have just turned 20 a few months before the trial. Very little is reported regarding the trial and a portion of Jesse's testimony was reported. According to the Billings Gazette, Jesse had known the victim and he was a witness called by the defense. While on the stand, Jesse was questioned by the prosecution that he had met Lee Robbins on two occasions, once in Billings and once in Bozeman. He said both times he had met Lee, Lee had given Jesse a fake name, but on April 7, 1968, the day before Lee was murdered, Jesse told him he knew who he was, and the next morning, Jesse called the police to verify Robin's license number. Quigg's lawyer questioned Jesse and asked him, did Lee Robbins ever proposition you? And Jesse answered, can I take the Fifth Amendment? His lawyer then asked, did Lee offer you money? And Jesse answered, can I take the Fifth Amendment? Beyond that, there are no additional questions reported, but it appeared Jesse only answered questions for the prosecution and not the defense. Jesse also testified that one week after Lee Robbins' death, he and Gary Quigg had gotten into a physical altercation in which there were witnesses there to corroborate his story. And according to newspaper clippings, Jesse had just so happened to join the Army in April of 1969 so it's possible he testified and then got out of town as fast as he could. The medical examiner confirmed that Jesse and Billy both had been shot behind their left ear, and according to reports in the Lee Robbins murder, Lee had been shot twice in the head, once behind his right ear and once behind his left ear. So it certainly could be a possibility that someone related to the Quig case tracked down Jesse Haney for payback and Billy and Frida got caught up in it. In an interview with Jesse's brother, Ray, he said Jesse had told friends in Montana that he was going to make a lot of money by double-crossing a man they were dealing drugs for, but never said who or where this person was. So could this have been where the tip from Colorado came from? If that was Billy and Jesse's plan to rip off a drug dealer, maybe that explains why they left Colorado and went off the grid for six weeks before showing up in Sioux City. 
Also, if you remember from earlier, Jesse's girlfriend, Susan, had gone back to Colorado four days before their bodies were found. Investigators said they called and interviewed Susan regarding the murders, but she claimed that she didn't know anything. Investigators working the case back then and even to this day have come out saying they don't believe her and still to this day are suspicious. Apparently, she was from Steamboat Springs where the group had been staying, which says her relationship with Jesse was relatively new and people wondered why she would pay the security deposit for the home and then less than a month later go back to Colorado. And not only that, four days before all three were found murdered. In an interview with Jesse's brother, Ray, he said both Billy and Jesse had guns because he knew they were dealing drugs. And from his knowledge, they had been involved with dealing marijuana and opium. So maybe that was the other harder drug police found at the scene, but they never released it. Also, to go back to the crime scene, police only reported finding one gun in their search, which was in Jesse's truck. If Ray said he knew they each had a gun, then where is the second one? I suppose you could take this either way. Maybe it's possible the two men shared a gun, but if they didn't, then there seems to be one missing. After the murders, the home on Morningside Avenue sat vacant for several months until Nelson Berger, the neighboring funeral home, purchased the house and had made plans to demolish it in order to add a parking lot. Demolition started on April 22, 1975, less than five months after the murders. Sioux City Police felt they had fully processed the home and there was no more need for them to have continued access to it. To this day, police still have all the physical evidence taken from the house, including bloody clothes, bullets, crime scene photographs, pieces of carpet, and blood samples, and they have said they will keep it until the case is solved. About a year into the investigation, police had conducted 500 interviews and claimed they had given several people polygraph tests. But sadly, no leads panned out, and of course, the case went cold. I want to bring into question in particular the ruling of the medical examiner's findings, more specifically Frida and the victim's time of death. If you remember, the whereabouts of all three are relatively accounted for until Sunday, December 1st. Frida and Billy had made plans to go to Billy's parents' house but didn't show, and a friend had stopped by the home but no one answered. And by Monday morning, they hadn't gone to work and there was no evidence showing they were active at the house and Jesse's truck sat in the driveway undisturbed. Snow had already fallen by then and there were no footprints or tire tracks visible and they were already late on rent as well, which was due on Sunday. Also, according to law enforcement investigating the case and people who knew the couple, they said they knew that Frida was almost full term into her pregnancy and there was no way she was only four months pregnant which is what Dr. Corridan reported. So it makes me wonder if Dr. Corridan could have been wrong about how far along Frida was in her pregnancy, could he have also been wrong about when the three had been killed? And what I had found were a few legal situations involving Dr. Thomas Corridan between 1973 and 1981. One situation was on January 26th of 1973, almost two years before the murders. A young man by the name of Stephen Glover was taken into the Woodbury County Jail at the request of his father because he had been hallucinating and his dad worried he would become violent, so he called police to pick him up. He was taken to the Woodbury County Jail in the middle of the night, and in the morning, police contacted Dr. Corden to check on Glover while still in custody. And according to Dr. Corden, Glover's vitals were all fine, he just seemed fatigued, and he didn't feel he needed hospitalization. 
Glover had told Dr. Corden that he had taken some triaminosin tablets, some Valium capsules, and an Alka-Seltzer. Seven hours after the doctor checked on Glover, he was found by officers in his cell dead. Dr. Corden, also being the medical examiner, performed the autopsy and concluded that Glover died from respiratory distress due to a drug overdose. However, the autopsy showed that he had only had a trace of triaminosin in his body. But then later, when Stephen's father pushed for an indictment in his son's death, Dr. Corden said that the exact cause of death may never be pinpointed, and the grand jury ruled that there was no evidence of any negligence or criminal act. Now, if you remember, Dr. Corden's report is that there were no drugs found in the victim system, claiming toxicology tests were difficult at that time. Yet, two years earlier, he was able to determine a trace of triaminosin in Stephen Glover's system. Another case in 1976 was of a woman who was only referred to as Mrs. Jackson, went to Dr. Corden to be evaluated regarding irregular menstrual cycles, and Dr. Corden had told her that she was pregnant, based on what he says was a positive pregnancy test. There is quite a lot of controversy reported back and forth with a lot of he said, she said, but Dr. Corden failed to document quite a bit of information in Mrs. Jackson's chart. He saw her a total of 11 times over seven months and said he estimated her due date to be in August, and at their last appointment that month, he thought he heard the baby's heartbeat. When she went to the hospital to have her baby in August, the nurses and doctors didn't think she was pregnant, and after ordering an x-ray, their suspicions were confirmed. She had no baby, no fetus, no tumor, nothing. This sent Mrs. Jackson over the edge requiring medication and eventually treatment. She had sued Dr. Corden, accusing him of causing her mental stress, but she lost. So if Dr. Corden couldn't even tell that this woman wasn't pregnant, how can we be sure he determined the stage of Frida's pregnancy accurately? Now, I am sure there are always going to be situations where someone feels that a doctor did the wrong thing. But what this boils down to is could Dr. Corden have been wrong in his autopsies and Frida, Billy, and Jesse may have been killed before Monday. If that is the case, it makes other people's actions look a little more suspicious and it somewhat changes the timeline where the possibility of other people being ruled out may not have. Based on my research, this is my own theory and observation, but it does seem plausible. We don't know what evidence the police still have in their possession, or if the killer or killers left any DNA behind, but after 47 years, it's time for answers. A case this cold will most likely only be solved by someone calling in a tip, and based on the life and death of these three, somebody knows something. So if you have any information regarding the unsolved murders of Jesse Haney, Frida Bostick, and her unborn child, or Ernest Isom Jr., please contact the Sioux City Police Department at 712-279-6390. Thank you for listening to Secrets in the Cornfield. Tune in next week for a new episode. In order to keep the content coming more consistently, new episodes will now be released on Sundays. Secrets in the Cornfield is an Anchor original. Sources for this episode can be found in the episode description. You can find Secrets in the Cornfield, Iowa's Unsolved, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To help the families and provide a voice for the victims, please be sure to follow this podcast and share with friends and family.